Hello and welcome to the Carmichael series of podcasts. Carmichael provides support and guidance to other charities and non-profits on running their organisations, complying with good governance practice. In this series, we'll be asking questions and hopefully providing answers to some of the big issues facing charities and non-profits. I'm Dermot O'Kerbui and I'm the CEO of Carmichael. And today I'm especially delighted because this is the first we have a, an outside guest to our series. And we have Gillian Van Turnhout, formerly a senator, as well your senator for life. Gillian will be talking to us today about the whole area of when things go wrong in charities. And the reason I asked Gillian, because Gillian has had an interesting career and is, is, is having an interesting career both as a practitioner, but also has been asked to go into certain charities when things have hit speed bumps, uh, to put it politely, and to have a look at what's gone wrong or what needs to be put right. So I, I thought it would be a, an interesting topic to bring in, Gillian, to talk about this and sort of see what lessons there might be for charities, because in life being it is, inevitably things will go wrong in every charity, and we'll maybe talk about a few of those things. But maybe start off, Gillian, if we just talk about, without naming names, or maybe of the sorts of things you've seen go wrong when you've been asked to go and have a look at a charity. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. And obviously, I've done, I've done some work in the public eye, but some also behind the scenes. And I think when things really go wrong in charities is when they put their head in the sand. So they hit the bump because every charity hits bumps. So the idea that there's any charity that over the past three years hasn't had an internal crisis for me means, you know, it, it's not real. So all charity has challenges. But when they hit that bump, how do they respond to it? And do they have the right people around the table in order to respond? So I'm talking about the board. I'm talking if, if they have a staff team, do they have the right skill sets in the staff team? So... For me, the types of things that can go wrong with charities is, you know, people get too friendly, uh, so they forget that governance is really important. All money is public money, in my opinion, whether it comes from the state or from a collection box in the street. You have to be accountable and transparent. And if you don't feel you could stand on a platform on O'Connell Street and tell people where you're spending your charity's money, I think you have to question are we making the right decisions? So that piece of always being accountable, always being transparent, but ensuring that you have the right voices and the right skill mix around the table, uh, that for me has been the biggest issues that I've seen with charities. Okay. There's there's a f- great book on governance and on roles of board, but it's a fantastic title. It's a book by Bob Garrett, and I really like it because my wife's family were fishmongers, and it's the title of the book is The Fish Rots From The Head. And I think what that is trying to get across is okay, ultimately the buck stops with the board. And sometimes, and sort of in my experience, and it was some, the board don't get that. They don't. They, they, it's always somebody else's problem, or you know. Yeah, and I, I think for boards, you know, and I've seen it all too often. They become complacent because the charity is getting good plaudits for the work it's doing. They see the direct services that they're providing, so they have this feel good peace. But the board are responsible, the leadership, they set the strategy, but they also set the culture for the organisation. So how does the organisation deal with an issue? It's really important that the board is willing to face up to an issue, deal with it appropriately and to look, and I've listened to your previous podcast in this series, and you're absolutely right about putting time into recruiting the right chair, the right skill mix on the board is absolutely essential. And I think if boards gave as much time to looking at that mix, uh, but that those people are there 
are right for the strategic plan of the organisations. I think all too often boards get caught up in keeping an organisation going rather than saying, what is our purpose? What is our vision? And are we delivering on it? That's an important point. Is sometimes boards forget that they've been going on a journey and things have changed. And the original set of people that may have set up the organisation or been on the board and did a great work in getting the organisation to where it is may not necessarily be the same people that you need for the new environment or the new stage of development of the organisation because they probably have grown and they may be in a more complex environment. And that's one of the things is recognising things do change. And then that constantly looking, have we got the right people around that table? Have we got enough diversity? Because usually when you start, you get people that you know that think like you. And that can be a big red warning signal that you've got clones of each other. People that you like, that you know, that you trust, but may not be the ones that will challenge or speak out when they see your behaviour or the behaviour of the organisation, that it's not appropriate. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes when I'm chairing boards, I would love to have people around the table who would all just say, that's absolutely wonderful, Gillian, and, and let's do that. But the reality I know is that that's no good for the charity. It's no good for the organisation where I'm chairing. What's really important is, and I will always say that the toughest meeting for a chief executive should actually be their board meeting. It should be constructively tough. I'm not saying it should be aggressive. But the board need to have that rigour at their meeting, that they're questioning, that they're probing. And I've seen sometimes in charities what's happened is people have this false sense uh, that we all know one another, um, which we do know one another, but we we shouldn't confuse that with the roles that we're playing when we sit around the board table. When we sit around the board table, it is my role to question the CEO about decisions, about implementations. If we haven't delivered on what we've said we'll deliver in the strategic plan or what we've said to funders we will deliver, we should be questioning. We should be preempting that before a funder comes. And that's where I've seen in organisations where funding is cut because the funder has lost trust with the organisation, because the organisation has been reporting and feeling, oh, we'll just tell them we're doing it, we will catch up, rather than having that conversation at the board table and then going to a funder proactively and saying, we haven't delivered 100%, here's the reason why. And my experience is, when you act in a very way with integrity, funders will respond positively uh, because they, if, you, if you're able to outline it and if you've gone through the rigour of a board, being able to scrutinise, being able to say, well, what corrective action are we going to take? Where are we going to pull other resources from? Or will we no longer take funding from this organisation or this funder because they're not willing to give us the extra that we need for the governance part, for the management of the project, or that it has brought us to do work that's actually not our business? It's not our core work. So it's brought us outside of our remit. So boards have to have that critical helicopter role. They're able to see in, you know, in governance, you're often told as a board, you can put your head in the tent, but you keep your hands out. But don't be afraid to put your head in. And I think sometimes people forget that role, essential role they have as a board. It's very, very important. And I like the, the sort of the, the, the sense that the CEO needs to be a bit on edge. Where the CEO goes through it, where it's routine and it's, it, it, there's something going wrong, the dynamic is wrong, that the board is not doing its job and the CEO is not doing its job. And it's not fair to the CEO. It's actually not fair to the CEO because they should be so honed and ready for all the external meetings that they're doing. So I I think, you know, I I see with boards, they don't do appraisals with their CEO. 
So they let things drift along. They don't ask the CEO ever to leave the room. It's a really important part that as a board, they themselves take responsibility. Now, what can happen is because a CEO tends to be there longer than most terms of office, they nearly become, you know, we we, we talk about ministers and permanent governments and a CEO can sometimes be that permanent. So we boards really have to have that robustness to ensure that they're always playing their role as the board and that they're not just being led by the CEO. The CEO is doing a really essential role for the organisation, but the best thing a board can do is hold that CEO to account. I, I was given a presentation on this topic a while back and I pulled together a slide, which I think, and one thing, from my experience, for the key reasons why, why things go wrong and why the fish starts rotting at the head is where the board fails. So the, the first one I see is where the board sees itself in the role of the cheerleader. So they're a cheerleader for the CEO and the staff and they feel that our job is to say, brilliant, great job, and encourage them. And that can get excessive where it becomes that they're, because they're a cheerleader, they don't hold the, the CEO and the organisation to account. Second one I've seen quite a bit of, and I'm sure you have, is the board is asleep at the wheel. Because things have been going swimmingly and everything has been going, and again, great press and again, great feedback, but things underneath the surface have, call, have gone wrong and they don't spot it because they, 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 they haven't. The third common reason, and it happens as boards evolve or stay on too long, they, they're out of their depth. That the organisation has entered a range of complexity, and we've seen in areas where safeguarding is now a critical part of a lot of organisations. The mindset and the skill set may not be appropriate around the board for that environment because we rightly expect a much higher standard. So that can happen in other areas. And the fourth one, unfortunately, does happen, and it's where, but it does happen that the board have the fingers in their tail. And either they're complicit in it or that they're active in, in, in taking charitable resources for their own personal benefit. And those things that you need to be wary on. So... What would you see, and, and I like the analogy you had about the, the, the ostrich head in the sand, but what have you, from your experience, what are the common mistakes that they typically make when they encounter a, a, a problem? The typical mistakes I see is that people try to justify and, and try, as you say, to, to maybe blame others or, or not fully recognise that this is a problem now. And I think my experience has been, and, and we see this with any, any news that comes out in relation to a charity, when a charity takes ownership, they from the time that they know it, that they've gone wrong, that they're honest, they're upfront about it, the public are actually really forgiving. The Irish public are amazingly forgiving. Where they're not forgiving is when they try to further bury it or feel that if we ignore it, it will go away. It will not go away. And or the board will, as you say, you know, they can be asleep at the wheel and nearly turn to the management or the CEO and say, oh, you deal with that because that's trouble. We're used to dealing with success. And, and that, in a way that that's what they're doing in their head. And boards need to remember they're at the driving wheel. And I think if board members would think how long on their board agenda do they look in the rearview mirror? Now, if you drove a car and spent all of that time just looking in the past, uh, that's not your role. You're not the past, you're driving that car, you will crash. You need to be looking ahead at the road ahead. You actually need to be looking much further up that road ahead than the CEO will be, than those who are working in the organisation. Because you're a little removed from the organisation, so you have that perfect view of the road ahead. You should be connecting with other organisations, looking what others are doing, being that intelligence gathering, looking that times have changed. So maybe as a service provider, you always delivered your services in X manner. Maybe there's a different way now to do it. Maybe there's a different role. 
when was the last time you went to your members and talked to your members about what their needs are? What, what are their expectations from the organisations? Can you answer who are your members? Why are you there? When do boards hear about complaints that have been received by organisations? And I think that's something when we're looking at when things go wrong. Very often there's in a complaints mechanism procedure, boards aren't given an update of if there's been a trend in complaints, if there's been difficulties encountered by an organisation. They need to be told this information. They need to have a mechanism. Now, the mechanism can be the CEO will advise the chair and the chair will then decide whether an urgent board meeting is needed or whether it will wait till the next board meeting. But they, as a board, they need to be asking these questions. Do we receive complaints? How are the complaints dealt with? If a staff member had an issue in the organisation, what is their channel? So they obviously will have normal channels within the organisation. But can they contact the chair? Do they know the chair is there? We often talk on the audit committee about having an independent person. Do you have people with those skill sets as your independent person for the organisation. As chair, are you connecting in with that independent person once or twice a year to say, are the reports, you know, is everything okay with the organisation? So just don't rely as a board on one source of information that everybody's telling you everything's okay. You have a role. You touched on a good one in terms of communication channels that the board has because sometimes the only channel of communication is via the CEO. And they don't get a sense of the others around. And there's problems with that from succession planning and things like that. But, but it's good practice for through, through committees and through appearing before that other members of the organisation get to talk to the board. But also then they have an idea, who are these people? If I do have a concern, I know these people. I've spoken to them. I have their contact details if I need to raise a serious concern because... It's unhealthy for an organisation where it's rigorously that it's only through the CEO and any interaction that the board have is through one person. Absolutely. And a board can do that over a period of time. They can decide that we will take certain aspects of work of the organisation over a one or two year period. So at our next meeting, we will look at the membership and how we deal with our membership services or we will deal with policy or advocacy or services, whatever the key functions of the organisation are, and then invite the relevant staff member to make a short presentation and there will be a board discussion about the future of that area. So just a, a brainstorming as a board. It doesn't always have to be that you have to agree everything but use those skill set that you've spent time bringing together to be talking about the future because all of us are involved. We, we live in Ireland. It's a small country. We've all these interconnections. And I might think, well, I've nothing to bring to this discussion. But then it starts and I realise I saw this example or I'm aware of a change here in policy. All of that intelligence gathering then can be useful for the organisation, but also for that staff member who's in that lead role. They want to have a role in coming to the board, but they now know the people around the table. And that makes it much easier that if there is an issue that needs a whistleblowing in the organisation, they have channels open to them rather than necessarily having to go to a public body. First, ensure that your channels are open, that people can exhaust those channels. Just an example that we introduced and at the time when we introduced it, I thought a little bit strange, but more and more I said it was made absent sense, is that in our fraud and finance committee, neither the CEO nor the chair sit on it. And the reason is that there's a direct line from the finance team to members of the board. 
So if they have concerns or if, 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 I, if they feel that I'm doing some shady or dodgy stuff, that they can raise that in confidence in, 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 the, in the committee. The other danger was when you do hand the CEO and the chair on the finance committee, that can become the shadow board, and that's where the real decisions are taken. So there isn't the full discussion and debate and challenge that the chair has a responsibility to draw it and the CEO so that, that, that when the board are making a big decision that it hasn't been rubber, it's not a rubber stamping exercise, that the board engages fully and particularly the chair, because they haven't been party to the recommendation of the finance committee, that that, that they can be happy. So it's a was it so when I, really I thought, good. of course, yeah. a CEO, I have to be there. And then the question was, well, why? You know, what, what, you know, you know. So I will be aware of what's going to the the, the 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 finance committee, and I have an opportunity to feed into it, and also I have an opportunity at the board meeting to. So there was no, so there was no no lack of opportunities for me as CEO. But I think it's a very good practice that organisations should look at because sometimes you get cliques and power centres on organisations that can be very harmful. When something does go wrong, what would be your advice to, say, an organisation that has suddenly found a serious issue, whether it's a reputational issue or a fraud issue or something that has caused a difficulty and will cause a difficulty for the organisation? What sort of things they should do? Well, I think, firstly, the board, need to, they need to evidence gather. So they need to agree how they're going to evidence gather to establish the facts. So what are the actual facts of the situations that they're facing? And they need to do that in a very fair and open manner. It's not about how do we contain this situation. Let's first see what is the extent, where exactly is the damage. I would encourage people on boards and in organisations that if you do reach difficulty, reach out, come to other organisations, get expert help from another organisation. So if you have a financial issue, why not ask another organisation, finance, can, can their finance staff member come in and give you some help? with looking at this situation to provide an independent voice. So is that when you're looking at it as a board, you're able to say, we've had an outside pair of eyes, we've had an expert from a similar type of organisation, so understands how we run, but they've been able to also look independently at those voices. As CEOs, as chairs, talk to other CEOs and chairs. You know, the Carmichael Centre, you have the Chairs Network. It's a really excellent resource to be able to lean on those people at a time of crisis because we all know that when we're in the crisis, we just want to calm it. We want everything to be okay. And you need outside voices that won't tell you what you want to hear necessarily, but they will tell you what's the right thing and they will help you as you're going through that process. So is that if you do need to go public or if you do need to advise key funders or key stakeholders and, and your membership of what has happened, that they can be another pair of eyes, another pair of ears to listen, to ensure that your tone is appropriate because I can often be trying to say something and then realise that somebody has heard it very differently to what I was trying to say. They may think I've come across as aggressive or anxious and I'm trying to be really open or, or they feel I'm trying to conceal certain facts. And certainly in boards you know, that I've directly been involved in where we've had a crisis and we've had really difficult discussions at the board level, very robust discussions, but they've really helped us in ensuring then that we've been upfront, gone out, and actually the consequences are not what I thought they would be because people responded that we laid out the facts, we laid out the actions that we've decided to take, we've said what remedies we're now putting in place to protect the organisation, and we've continued to ensure as a board item we go back to check in that we're not just saying, OK, that's OK, phew, but actually saying, how can we do better next time? Are there other areas that are now at risk? Are there other things that we, we need to be looking at? I think, I think the, the theme there is, is, is communication, because the tendency, as you say, when you hit a crisis, is stop digging and you know, making yeah. the thing. But also it is, 
don't create a vacuum because you you need to okay and and people will be forgiving long as there's a, there's a channel of communication established so first of all you say you need to establish the facts you say we, we're doing that we will be back when we have the information and we will we will convey information as we know because worst thing is being a little hedgehog and sort of rolling up the ball and think this will all go away it just creates a vacuum it creates speculation and it creates what are they hiding so Go, go and think about... And I, I mentioned earlier on the thing that sometimes if it's a bad, you may get expert outside advice. Sometimes it can be very, very helpful because you may not have the skill set and advice on communication because you, know, you may have a mic put in front of your face for the first time in your life and you're on the national airways and it can be a daunting experience for a chair or a CEO. Sometimes getting that advice about you know, the approach to take it can be very, very helpful. You also mentioned that you know, the... Organizations that have taken proactive and have recovered, because we have seen organizations that have gone through very, very difficult crises, but the approach they took to it and how they responded to it, and one that comes to mind was CRC, that had an awful lot of difficulty. They have gone through a huge transformation, and they've taken it seriously, and a lot of you find, because we would be looking with, in terms of governance, you'd see organizations that have had that near-death experience take governance a lot more seriously and they can be much more rigorous because they've seen the consequences of bad governance and they take the action. So it isn't, it isn't terminal, but it can be terminal if you don't act accordingly. Just maybe to wrap up this thing, maybe if, if you're... If you're because we, we said at the beginning that everything in life, there will be something that will go wrong. But what would be your top tips if you were to say to an organization said, you will, have, you will have a major issue that something will go wrong in your organization? What would your top tips would be for them to, to bear in mind when they, if they do hit that bump or major, okay. major roadblock? I, my first would say take a deep breath and calm to establish the facts. So to be clear about what are you dealing with, to ensure that you bring the board together. The board need to be appraised of it. It, it can't be dealt with without the board being involved. And that, that for me goes back to ensuring that you have the right skill mix around the table. Communication, as you've said, be open be, and, and communicate but ensure that you're very clear about why you're there as an organisation, the purpose of the organisation, that clarity of purpose. Because very often these things happen. You talked earlier about people being asleep at the wheel. An organisation has had past successes. The board are cruising along in their car, they're looking around them and they forget that they need to be setting that future strategy, that they're the leaders of the organisation and they need to set that vision. So it, that, that is really important. Ensure that you have the right training in place so that board staff can be trained up and ensure that you hear each of the different voices around the table. One of the things I think can happen at boards is you get to the finance topic and people just turn to the finance expert and say, can you tell us about what's happening in finance? And perhaps start a culture of saying, if we have a proposal, I want the experts to be the last to comment so is that they, they'll come in and test it. And my top tip also would be develop your networks now as an organisation. So whether it's as chair or whether it's as a board member, whether it's as chief executive, share resources, especially as we're all going through the journey of the governance code. And I suppose that would be my last point is 
The governance code is brilliant if you use it rightly as a board. As a board, why not take one or two principles at each board meeting, work through them, because that will make sure that you're checking for those blind spots that you might have as you're you're driving along your route. So use the governance code as a positive tool that you can use to make sure you're doing a good health check of the organisation, that you know where you're all going and that you can all buy into it. I, I would echo that. I've just had a session earlier today where we were working with some of the members here in Carmichael and we were looking at principle one and two but the the message there is it's a useful conversation starter for organizations to look at some of the things that you might take for granted and said oh my goodness we haven't looked at this for some time you know have we expanded the scope of the organization have we had any real discussion of what a conflict of interest or a conflict of loyalty might mean for us you know because we had some interesting discussions when we started out there because people said oh I wouldn't have thought about that but that makes sense the other one I would echo is there is lots of resources and help for people and talking to colleagues, talking to other organisations, you'll, you'll find that they're very, very helpful. But there's also resources available from the charity regulator, organisations like ourselves here in Carmichael. And it isn't the end of the world. You know, every organisation will have crisis, some will vary, but it's how you respond and the ethics that you display in responding to that crisis will set, set you apart. And I think, as you said at the very end, the Irish public are very forgiving. Funders can be very forgiving, but if you create that vacuum, whether it's to your, your beneficiaries, to your supporters, to your funders, that's going to make it very difficult for you them to trust. sort of trust, trust yeah. you in fu- fu- future. Thank you very much, Gillian. I found it fascinating and that we could be talking about this topic for, for hours and um, in the nature of our roles we tend to see a lot of things that go wrong and we but there's an awful lot of things that go right and uh, and if you apply and work with the governance code you will run your organization more very very effectively and don't worry when things do go wrong there is you know it's don't bury your head in the sand as we said and reach out for, for help within the organization and outside the organization well thank you very much for listening to the latest episode in the carmichael series of podcasts If you would like to find out any more information about our trainings and our services and consultancy approach, and we're very lucky that Gillian is one of our panel of consultants that we use in our services, have a look at our website, carmichaelireland.ie, and do give us a shout. I've been Dermot O'Corbui, and my special thanks to our extra special guest today, Gillian Van Turnhout, and also thank our podcast producer for today's episode, Liam Garrity. We'll be back again soon. Slán go fold.